Is it Oscar season? Have you been cast in a slavery epic written and directed by whites? Well, you're going to need training, and we've got just the place to get it. Unshackle your potential today at the Debbie Allen Slave School. Take classes in moaning, wailing, and cowering in corners. After a week in our intensive whipping courses, we'll have your back ready to take an afternoon full of take after take of massive whooping that ass. Just listen to this inspired testimonial. Before Debbie Allen Slave School, I had my head held high, my posture was straight, I was even enunciating. But then after two weeks, oh, gotta get back to it. Just this month only, we're offering 50% off all courses with promo code Give Us a Three. Call today. Not affiliated with Debbie Allen Westweather. What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we deconstruct the white savior trope in film and then we recontextualize it from a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm your other host, Cameron Mason. And today we have another very special guest. This person, I would say, is, is damn near a goddamn national treasure at this point. He is a cartoonist of note. He's done a lot of great things that you might recognize. He's done uh, Your Black Friend and Other Stories. He's done a lot of stuff for The Nib. He was the artist on Bottom Feeders with Ezra Clayton Daniels. He's got a comic series that runs that's called Deglo Ejo. The one and only Mr. Ben Passmore. What up, though? Welcome, welcome. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell, tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, well, as you said it, I'm a, I'm a national treasure. Um, yeah. <laughs> black, black national treasure. Let's see. Um, wh what was the deal with me? Well, you know, I make, I make um, comics, um, mostly nonfiction these days, but you know, sometimes genre, horror, sci-fi, whatever Conan the Barbarian is, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? All through a, a, a Black anarchist lens, Black being uh, not a modifier, but a particular, you know, sort of subjectivity. So yeah, I, you know, I, I sort of just try to to talk about, you know, my experience. Uh, I get, you know, I'm getting washed, so I'm doing a lot of history stuff. Or sometimes I mix it up. Like I did, uh, I recently won an Eisner for this book called Sports as Hell. Yep. It was inspired by uh, the Euromaidan movement. Um, and also, uh, you know, the Eagles uh, won the Super Bowl and Philly blew up. And, sure. uh, and, in, this, and in the story, you know, uh, it, gets, it gets political. And I got a new thing coming out called uh, Black Arms to Hold You Up. It's um, sort of a hundred year history. Uh, and little vignettes of uh, armed black resistance in the United States. So um, fun, Very fun cool. stuff. Lots of guns. <laughs> for sure. Damn. Tell everybody about the movie <laughs> that you chose for us to talk about this week. Talk about Amistad <laughs> by, by Steven Spielberg. You're going to intro it, right? Well, yeah. Well, tell us, tell us what it is about Amistad that you really like keyed in on it and wanted to get into. Oh man. Okay. So, um, it was 1997. So we're tight. So I still had a hairline. I was a young <laughs> child then with all, with all my bushiness and my mother, uh, my mother took me to 
the theater, the Mahewi Theater in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, a small white ass town that I'm from to watch Amistad. And I don't think she gave me any, you know what I mean? I think we saw Ninja Turtles or something before that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to expect. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, you know, like I grew up in public school. So like, Amistad really, like, I think it's a despicable movie, but it, in a lot of ways, like, gave me very concrete visualizations for, for mm. slavery, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. like, it's the story of these particular, you know, Africans, like, you know, having a revolt on the high seas and then ended up in the U.S. and then, like, you know, had to legislate for the freedom. Um, but I picked it because I think it's, it had such an indelible effect on, on me as a small child. And also, I think it, it's so toxic because it's so ahistorical. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so ahistorical. So it, it both it both defined it does this really weird thing where it both like sort of uh, gives a visualization for misery. And I was horrified. Right. But also it does these little tweaks where they're like, yo, I watched this movie and I was like, if all you knew about American history from this movie, you would have think they had slavery just solved like the next day. <laughs> There's oh so God. many good white people. So all these good white people, they gonna fix it up. For sure. <laughs> well, they gonna fix it up. And and Cameron, you also saw this movie in theaters. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about that experience. Yeah, I also had ultra woke parents. Um, and they took me to, damn, let me see if I can remember. <laughs> oh, uh, Jordan, so you're a fellow uh, Baltimorean. Yep. Do you remember when that branch of BCCC right beside the power plant was a movie theater? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's where we went to go see Amistad. I'm dating myself to any Baltimoreans out there. But uh, 10 year old Cameron went with both his parents. I don't know if my sister went, my little sister went, but they definitely took my ass. I don't know why to see Amistad on the big screen. Um, they had a knack for doing that. They took me to see like, it, well, it was also a thing like, you know, you go see every black movie, you got to support, right? So like one year it's Amistad, one year it's like The Preacher's Wife, you know, it's what it is. But we went to see Amistad and I just remember not falling asleep because I remember like actually listening to the story, not understanding a whole lot of it because I'm also 10 <laughs> and this is like a legislation, it's a movie about legislation, it's a movie about two court cases. Yeah, which is just like, ask any 10 year old to sit through any court case film, they'll slap you in your mouth. I, I had no fun on top of which this centerpiece scene in the movie is well, it starts with a rebellion. It starts with right. blood. It starts with uh, visceral imagery. And then in the middle of the movie is the centerpiece, which we'll get to the middle passage, which is like, mm -hmm. maybe the only time I've ever seen it uh, on in cinema. Mm -hmm. The only time I've ever seen it chronicled in cinema, which is like kind of a whiff because it's like, of all people, it's Steven Spielberg. And at that point in my life, you know, I fuck with Spielberg, even from a black standpoint, because he made The Color Purple. And that's it, honestly one of my favorite movies. And it still is one of my favorite movies. But he he's the one to do this and it, even though it's very visceral and like very much so a Spielberg sequence in the most of that term, it still feels soft 
And now watching it now, it feels softer Mm -hmm. and it feels more put on if anything, but we can get to that later. I'll just remember Cameron had no fun. Okay. Last question for both of you about seeing it in theaters. Like I'm thinking about seeing get out in theaters with just all black people. Right. And like what that experience was, what a great, like all black theater watching this black ass movie and enjoying it. I thought I should in Brooklyn, New York. I loved it. (laughs) Did you guys see was Amistad in a mostly white theater? And what was that reaction to the movie? Were like people like, wow, shed a tear or were they just like, damn, those Negroes, they had a rough. Well, you know where I saw that movie. Yeah. So you know who was in my audience. Well, right. (laughs) We're going to say we're going to go with the with the percentage, maybe 100. Yeah, we're going to go with 100 (laughs) percent black. My black ass audience saw this movie and there wasn't any like when they were killing those Spaniards, they were like, yeah, go get them. Like none of that. And there was none of that. It was mostly like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of mostly like. I don't know, because I was also 10, so I don't I don't hmm. recall a whole lot of like adults being like, hmm, that's Spielberg. I really got it. Right. Yeah, you right, know? right. I don't. It, and I don't even recall my parents even being like, yeah, that felt good. You know, <laughs> none of that. Ben, what about you? Well, my town, my town of Great Barrington is white as shit. It is. It is the birthplace of W.E.B. Du Bois. And I claim I claim <laughs> that so tightly. <laughs> Hold so, on to it, man. <laughs> so my 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 white ass mom took me uh to the white ass movie theater in a white ass town to watch Amistad. And I think because because I was so used to white people and having having a black experience to sort of that I had to internalize, mm-hmm. I think I I bet I didn't even look at anybody. You know <laughs> what I mean? I was just like so so keyed in. You know what I mean? And there wasn't for sure, none of these, none of these New England ass white people mm-hmm. with their knit sweaters and their open-toed sandals when white people were getting killed in the beginning were like, "Yeah, I, I bet they felt away." You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I bet they really felt away. You know, um, so I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that I did what I do most of the times when I go to a white theater and see a very uh, black movie. I'm thinking of um, not you know, similarly not made by black people, but very black appearing yeah. beasts of the Southern wild. Mm-hmm. That was a real moment in new Orleans. I remember seeing that in a white ass theater and just sh- hustling my way out. <laughs> I'm not trying to have <laughs> no conversations. You know, no, no conversations. You don't want to, I remember some, some white dude let me out of the aisle first. I was like, no, I don't want to have, <laughs> I don't want to be part of your story of you experiencing this movie and having mm. like an important emotional feeling, you know? Oh this my God. Quotations. I, I have had that. I, I, I mean, this is a, this is a podcast about movies, but I got to share this because you're, this is what, well, this is what we don't want white people, white people who are listening to this. This is what we don't want. I, I once went to a play. I went to an off Broadway play here in New York city. It was called white noise. It was about a man who had a police altercation played by Hamilton's David Diggs. He has a police altercation. It freaks him out. And he asks his friend to be his slave for a 30 day experiment because he feels that if he was a slave of somebody that he could present documentation or say that if you have a problem with me, then you have a problem with my master. 
and he appointed his best friend, his white best friend, as his master. It's a two-hour play. It's full of very caustic things to look at. Uh, tough play. Susan Laurie Parks, one of my favorite playwrights, if not my favorite. Um, so I've watched this play. It's very caustic, still very good. Um, it's very much so black art for a white gaze, though. And after this play, an old white lady who I didn't even know was sitting next to me the entire play stood up as I stood up and clapped and just gave me a big old hug. Didn't ask for it. <laughs> didn't even see the direction the hug was coming from, honestly. I was, I was in full embrace before I even knew what was happening to me. Yikes. And she looks at me, we break away, and she says, I'm sorry, I just felt like I had to do that. And in my head, I said, you didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't. I wow. feel like, I feel sincerely people need to be canceled for that shit. Yeah. I don't, I, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of can, dialogue about cancel culture. People really should be canceled for that shit. We can Just, definitely cancel Brenda or whoever the fuck hugged me after this play. <laughs> that was legit. That happened to me twice, by the way. That was the first Jimmy's. time. It was like the, it was oh the second time in like a month too. That happened to me. It's a where, rough month. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a rough month. But like, you know, people like white people watch these movies and they see these white savior movies and they, they get see charged these up. atrocities. They get charged up. They see these atrocities. They're like, oh, my my ancestors did that to your ancestors. And I'm like, but you didn't do it to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, just learn a lesson and let's all get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That was, I think that response in some ways, I can't put it in my mind, makes me think about, like, dudes, like, right off the top, I'm thinking, like, Lil Wayne, who's like, I've got no problems. I'm not strong. I'm doing great. Like, a part of me understands that, because you just want to be left alone. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Just leave me the fuck alone. Look, I'm dressed nice. Whatever. Leave me. Don't hug me. Don't hug me. We're not friends. We're not friends. No, I don't. I don't know you. I'm I'm all capped out on white people. My yeah. I got an uncle and an aunt. I'm you know what I mean? Like I don't need <laughs> I don't need look, that. Look, I, that that's the story of black people in America. Just leave me the fuck alone. Like that's that's our real, autobiography. Real talk. Just leave me alone. Before we start, we're we're just gonna run down a few quick things. So Amistad comes out in 1997. It's a, a drama, historical drama directed by the Steven Spielberg before he does this movie. Same year, 1997, Lost World, Jurassic Park comes out. Uh, and before Ooh, he did this, classic. he had two movies before this, which are also Schindler's List and then the original Jurassic Park. But Schindler's, on List, a roll. Yeah, Schindler's List comes out and Debbie Allen, Hollywood producer, dancer, choreographer of fame, fame, is convinced that like Steven Spielberg needs to make this movie. And so she basically is lobbying him and all these studios to make this movie, to adapt this movie. Eventually, he says yes, and then this movie is written by David Franzoni, whose only screen credit before this is Jumping Jack Flash, starring with. Get me out of here! Get me! Get me out of here! Are you holy? No! Whoa! 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 This is new information. He was only other screen credit before Amistad. Before before Amistad, a two and a half hour court case epic drama. Yep. is the Whoopi Goldberg failed comedy from 1987, like 10 years earlier. Yeah, he does. He does jumping Jack Flash. And then the in 2000, he goes on to write, co-write and co-produce Gladiator, 
So that's like his big, that's what he's known for. Your man is mostly. all over the place. But it's it's a very strange uh, <laughs> career for him. But this movie stars a bunch of white people, Matthew McConaughey, um, Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Skarsgård, as well as a few black people, Morgan Freeman, Digimon Hansu. This is Digimon Hansu's like first like big role. Same thing for Chiwetel Ejiofor. This is kind of like his big break as well. Um, he's in this. And this movie... Budget was $36 million, goes on to make $44.2 million. So, like, it's not like a smash. That's specifically that's by, not a success. That's by actually not a standards. success. Yeah, Spielberg's movies are just raking in the money. So this is kind of yeah. not, not, I guess white people just didn't want to see uh, <laughs> see this movie and, and the ways they wanted wonder to why. see dinosaurs eat people. But wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna try something new for this episode because uh, we are we're trying to to streamline things and and not be as long winded as we have been in the past, even though it's fun to kind of go in on these movies and talk a lot of shit. Uh, we, <laughs> we would like to to deliver a more streamlined experience. So, Cameron, I, w- I want to try an experiment. I want you to to time me Ooh. for uh, for a new segment we're gonna call Five Minutes of Bullshit, where we're going to just summarize <laughs> these movies, trying to do oh, it in five minutes or less. But right. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a summary of Amistad for people who have not seen this movie or for it's it's been a minute since they see this movie. Uh, All right, okay. I got the timer going. Cameron, you ready? Okay, three, two, one. Okay, so Amistad starts off with uh, Digimon Hansu. In this movie, he's, he's Singbei or Singke. Uh, Singke, Joseph Singke. Yeah, yeah, and he's on the La Amistad, which in Spanish also means friendship. So, I mean, they're, they're fucking with us straight up uh, off Ooh. the top. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's trying to escape, right? And so this is the part of the movie where it's kind of like, I, I'm, I'm ready to see where this goes because as he's trying to get out of his chains, his fingernail looks like it might break off. And I was like, if that happens, Whoa. then I know what's up. But that doesn't happen. But he does get out of his, his shackles, literally breaks the shackles of bondage gets free frees the other captives on the ship and they proceed to just kill all the slave traders except for two people who are kind of like the captain and the navigator of the ship and so the captives have taken over the ship and they're basically sailing around they want to get back to africa they're telling you know these spanish slave traders take us back to africa a few times they kind of have these close calls with some of these other ships but you know for a couple of weeks they're kind of sailing around at night, the Spanish slave traders are kind of re-navigating the ship to go back towards America, but then they'll, you know, turn back east when all the slaves are awake. And eventually they start running out of food and provisions and other stuff. So they have to drop anchor, go to shore, collect some food. But at that time, a US Navy ship rolls up on them and is basically like, Y'all niggas can't be doing this. We gotta run, take Run you them in, right? slaves. Yeah, run so them they, slaves, yo. They they arrest everybody on the ship. They commandeer the ship. They take the ship to Connecticut. So this is where a lot of the the legal drama of the movie breaks down because once they get brought in, a whole bunch of people start making claims to the ship and to the Mende people who are on the ship. So the U.S. attorney wants to just charge them with piracy and murder straight up. He's like. We gotta, we gotta uphold white supremacy. Black people can't be doing this shit. They can't be killing slave traders and all that. We gotta make an example of them. So he wants to just charge them with piracy, charge them with murder, kill them all, get it over with, right? Spanish government, which is kind of in league with 
Martin Van Buren, the president and the secretary of state, they all kind of have intersecting interests. They want their ship back. The Amistad is a Spanish ship. They want their ship and they want everything that comes with the ship, which is also the Mende people. So they're claiming rights to the ship and all the people who are on board. The two naval officers who discovered the ship want the same thing. They're like, wait a minute, we've discovered the ship. We're claiming salvage rights, which include the Mende people and the ship and all the shit that's on board the ship. The slave traders are like, hold up, we've got receipts. These are our slaves. We bought them fair and square. This is our ship. We're going to take all this shit back. Just run us our shit, right? And finally, we have our first white savior of the movie, Stellan Skarsgård, who's playing abolitionist Lewis Tappan, and Morgan Freeman, who's playing ex-slave Theodore Judson. They are abolitionists here in Connecticut, and they're trying to represent the Mende people, and basically just they want them to go free, right? So Tappan and Judson, they're kind of in over their heads because they don't really have any legal precedent or anything, and they don't really know what they're doing. So they need a lawyer to step in, right? So they're like, you know who we should get is John Quincy Adams, former president, who in this movie is played by Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Don't want to call him out his name. And he... <laughs> uh, respect, is, respect. Right, right. At this point, he's retired. He's like 70-something years old. And they come to him and he's like, nah, I'm old. I just want to be in my garden and water my plants. Y'all figure that out. So then our second white savior, Matthew McConaughey, rolls up. He's playing Roger Sherman Baldwin, who is a property lawyer. And it was like- One minute left. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go over, I, I guess. Know. It's a two and a half hour long movie. I'm <laughs> five minutes is going to have to go, come and go. It's tough. Well, I'm, we'll, we'll see what my total time is at the end. Let's go. Um, but yeah, Matthew McConaughey is a property lawyer. He's like, it looks like y'all have a property problem. Let me help you. You guys can just run me some money and then I'll I'll get these black people free. And we all kind of went, right? So he goes into court. He's arguing on the behalf of the Mende people. And he's like, well, look, you know, I'm speaking Spanish to them. They don't speak Spanish. Clearly, they're not from Cuba or wherever else these Spanish people are claiming they're from. They're from Africa. And as of now, you know, in this, like the 1830s, right, like slave, international slave trade is illegal. So you can't get people from other countries, specifically Africa, like kidnap them and bring them over to America and sell them. That's illegal. If you're born a slave, you're a slave for life. Like that's whatever. We don't have a problem with that. But we have a problem with you buying, you know, or kidnapping people and bringing them to America and trying to sell them. So that's his whole... Well we, we, just so you know, we tried it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't stop them from doing it. They they were doing that shit. It didn't really matter. Oh, I was but, talking about the five minutes. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's 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 fine. Um not hurt, not hurt, not hurt. Keep going, keep going. You are halfway there though, maybe do he, a 10 minute segment. This is yeah, minutes. this is like the halfway point of the movie. You got it, you got it though. Yeah, no, um, so he's basically like, you know, look, these aren't this isn't what they say it is these spanish people are lying spanish people are like well we got receipts so fuck you mean right like this we we have legal president and all this and all the other people as well or like well we have documentation or we have the legal president on our side you're just telling stories you need some proof and so they go to the amistad ship they find a ship manifest that proves that the mende were kidnapped from sierra leone by the portuguese put on the ship called the tacora brought to cuba spanish bought them tried to bring them to America, and that's when they revolted and took over the ship. So while this is going on, Martin Van Buren is trying to get reelected president, and 
he's catching heat from the queen of Spain, who's like this 11 year old girl that Spiel, Spielberg is like, she likes to jump on her bed and play dress up. Really? And, you know, do Three all the scenes, shit. I think. Uh, <laughs> the whole movie. It's so weird. Uh, so she's basically like, y'all need to run our shit back. Please give us back these slaves and the ship. And she's bringing heat down on Martin Van Buren, as well as the Southern senators who are also like, look, if we let these niggas go free, that's going to set a bad president. We can't do that. If you want us to help you get reelected, you need to, you know, either send them back to Spain or kill them. Right. So he has the judge on the case swapped out to somebody who's more favorable for him. Uh, and that kind of complicates things for for Baldwin and, and the Mende. But they go to John Quincy Adams and they're like, what should we do? And he's like, well, you just got to tell these black people's story. You got to figure out a way to talk to them because they don't speak the same language. So we got to figure this out. So in uh, one of the most racist scenes of the movie, Baldwin Jodson learned some numbers oh, yeah. in Mende oh. and then just basically go down to the local docks and just start yelling out random numbers in Mende, but then yeah. approaching random black people and just screaming numbers in their face as they walk by. Uh, it, oh. but <laughs> fuck is that scene like just confusing <laughs> and like why is it in the movie but of course Chiwetel Ejiofor is there and he understands exactly what they're saying he's a British naval officer who you know speaks Monday he's like I'll translate for you so they bring him in and then he is able to translate Sinke's story to the audience but also to you know the the people in the trial and this is where we get like the famed harrowing middle passage journey where we see just all you know the the many people are being dehumanized they're being beaten they're being force-fed this gruel a baby is born somehow without an umbilical cord and they pass it around and then like Man, the mom the, mo <laughs> the mom and the baby just jump off the ship and also, then a bunch of other people get thrown off the anybody. ship yeah it's 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 an intense scene. It's like one of the scenes that people bring up when they talk about this movie, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on in it. Um, but anyways, the U.S. attorney that's uh, trying to get the Mende people killed is like, well, that sounds like cap to me because what respectable slave trading person <laughs> would do that? So he's like, no, you're lying. I don't believe you. Uh, and Sinke has had enough of these white people. So he's like, look, y'all need to run us our free like set us free <laughs> fuck all he this he does he does say run us us free <laughs> yeah, run, run us, us us free us free yeah. <laughs> very touching uh, moment <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the Oscar clip <laughs> but you, run, run us us free <laughs> run us us free but you know like the, the judge is like you got a point though we will run you that free and uh they do <laughs> free them uh, and he's also like, you know what? That slave trading shit is illegal. So y'all Spanish people are arrested too. Send the black people home. But Martin Vermeeren is like, fuck all that shit. No niggas is going free on my watch. Uh, and he challenges uh, the decision to send it to the Supreme Court. So Cinque is mad. He's heated. He's like, y'all white people are wild. What the fuck is going on? How are you living in this country where you almost do shit? Laws don't work. Y'all, y'all crazy, which is facts. But at some point, the the abolitionist Tappan, who was in the beginning, was all about getting these black people free. He's like, maybe it's better if they all die. And that like helps our case more. So he just pieces out. He's another also more. wild scene. <laughs> um, so then Baldwin and Joseph are like, well, you know, we really need to to take this case to the Supreme Court and, and win. So they finally convinced John Quincy Adams to take the case because I think he's just like, well, I can stun on Martin Van Buren if I do this. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the case. Uh, so Sinke keeps asking him questions through Chiwetel Ejiofor, and he's like, just just bring him here, and I'll talk to him. 
and they talk and John Quincy Adams says some shit about lions because I think that's just what white people know about Africa and then uh Senke is like oh you know I feel good about this because my ancestors got me so I'm not I'm not worried about all that um and they go to the Supreme Court and John Quincy Adams gives this long ass meandering speech about freedom and past presidents and starts talking about his dad and I guess resolves his daddy issues which is I think what this movie was about um and then the Supreme Court is like, you know, he was spitting though. Those were some facts. Seven one. That motherfucker spitting. Yeah, send him back. Send him back to Africa. It's legal bars. <laughs> legal. Just <laughs> um, hard legal bars. But that's basically it. Like he he. And that is it. Yeah. He gives and a speech. He win. They win. Yeah. They win the case. They win the case. They get sent back on to a Africa. technicality. Yeah, and then we. That's get what those... I'm going to get into later. <laughs> yeah, we get, we, we this get... movie. This movie on some fuck shit <laughs> yeah well we get one of those like where, where what happened afterwards montages and like we see Van Buren I guess is washed now he doesn't have slaves anymore he's ringing his bell nobody's coming he didn't get reelected. uh Spanish queen is still jumping on her bed and keeps suing America uh until the civil war uh some British naval officer gets to blow up a slave outpost and he's psyched about that um he's oh ew. Uh, <laughs> and then uh <laughs> just the energy with which he says fire <laughs> fire <laughs> fire couldn't care less yeah oh um, oh this is for abolition i don't give a fuck right we're just blowing shit up bro um i guess no one else really matters because we don't know what happens to anybody else except for Senke. yeah we don't find out if anybody else makes the <laughs> basketball team or anything like that no one yeah. you know gets, gets to kiss a girl on prom night none of that no nah, Senke and mende go back to africa except Apparently, there's a civil war going on, and all their families are dead, and that's it. And all their families are dead. <laughs> it's the saddest. It's the saddest, like post sample. It's just like, and then Sinke got back, and all his family were dead, and no one found out where any of them were. Maybe they were yeah. sold into slavery. The exact same thing they spent the last two and a half hours fighting against. Roll credits. Right. Good night. <laughs> yeah. Like, yo, this movie on some fuck shit. Also, great job, Jordan. It's a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. yeah. You did it in 10 minutes. I'm actually. Oh, all right. Yep. Cool. I'm, nice. I'm with it. I'm with it. Got it. Yeah. All right. I'm, a, so, I'm impressed. Yeah. The, I'm actually uh, very, very impressed. The there's a lot of like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, meandering like plots going on in this movie. And you yeah. managed to nail just about everything that happened. Yeah. Well, it's a yeah. boring ass movie. But like, there's a lot of sections <laughs> of this movie that are just like, we don't understand what these Africans are saying. Somebody. <laughs> what they're saying bro that is also the movie for like yeah every other scene is i don't understand him and then there's just weird ass subplots about like one of them low-key maybe converting to christianity and like oh yeah bro. my dude picked up a, a picture bible my dude picked up bro. a picture bible was like this is about to open your eyes you better check out this guy yeah. jesus but that i mean that's that's ostensibly amistad for you but let's let's get into it because there's a lot of just weird shit that happens in this movie yeah, Cameron or Ben, if, if either of you want to set it off and kind of get into like what what your main issues with Amistad are. I would say Ben oh. go first because mine are with the ending. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I wrote notes. Yeah. I wrote it. notes. Yeah. We love notes. Um oh man, there's so many things. Well, one thing, so I I um I I I couldn't help but Google some shit about this afterwards in that way where you're like, am I crazy? What's up? So one thing that I, I did not know about is that there was a dude named Madison Washington who freed himself. And then he went back to, back to the South for his wife and then got caught again. 
And then they tried to send him and his wife and a whole bunch of other people to what, what was it? It was maybe Cuba on a boat called the Creole in which yeah. he, he busted out sing bay style, murked all the white dudes on there and then uh, made it, maybe it wasn't because it was a British, a British colony yeah. at the time. They were anyway, going to so, they're going to Louisiana and then he busted out the ship and then took them to the Bahamas. That was right, the Bahamas. And this shit was going on the same damn time. And Steven Spielberg was like, nah, let's do the story with the niggas, make it, but don't make it. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> and let's do the movie. Well, because you know Steven Spielberg, Steve's like, he's like, yo, I can do a movie about John Quincy Adams and I can do a movie about right. all this other shit. And like, right. you know, like, you know, I can make it about slavery, but I'm also interested in like a lot of other shit that doesn't have to do with any of these black people. You right. right. It, it's amazing to me. Now, watching it this as an adult, I'm like, I don't know what this movie is about because it's <laughs> definitely not about slavery. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? It's really yeah. not. That, that was the first thing. It was, yo, there's so many insulting things about this. I feel like, is this a three-hour podcast? This could be a three-hour podcast. <laughs> why, is my, why is my dude naked and animalistic so often in this movie? Yeah. Why are they acting like these Africans are just in the bush? Why do they act like it's crazy he learned English? They probably know multiple languages. Everyone in Africa has <laughs> to know multiple fucking languages. So, so here's we got a new drop because uh, we need to talk about something. Well, how many Caucasian okay. seconds must pass before it's time for me to speak the truth? <laughs> can we? Can we, this is something that I thought about after seeing the movie, right? Because uh, I, I gotta, I gotta do another drop real quick because Digimon Hansu is definitely black acting school. He's Very part good. of black acting school. He's but very he's, good. He's in very good. He's in these movies though. Right. He's done several white savior films. And I think yeah. the thing that I've figured out after watching this movie is that there's something about Dijmahatsu, because you're exactly right, Ben. When the when the movie starts, two things jumped out at me immediately. First of all, like just the way that they're acting, the African, the African people are acting is very, like you're saying, very tribal, very animalistic, very savage. Obviously, when you're just killing a bunch of people, like sure, right? Like that's a heat of the moment thing. Tensions are up, but like they're also acting like that just in general, right? Like with everybody, right? And there's a large swath of the beginning of the movie where they're not getting translated, right? They're translating the Spanish, they're translating some other stuff, but all the stuff that they're saying, you don't know what they're saying. Like there's no translation for that. And when I think about Digimon Hansu, this is the thing that's jumping out to me is I think there's something about him that white people find intimidating right? Like he has the look of just like scary black dude. But by putting him in these roles, they also make him like the sympathetic, redeemable, savage type of like, oh, you know, like he might look scary and he might, you know, be speaking this like scary language and, and kind of be intimidating. But like, but look, he's a gentle understanding. Like if you just got to know this scary black man, like maybe you would also find <laughs> that other black people aren't as bad. So it's like, it's like to really use a, a, a strong phrase. It's like, if we can break this buck, right? Like if we can like do this thing where we can it's make him, it's so make him nasty. palatable it's to so you. Gross. And it's, it's him in every movie he's ever been in. Honestly, yes. I, I feel bad that he's the guy. Cause it's like, he's a good actor. 
he's great yeah. in this movie. He's great in this movie, honestly. I mean, as as an actor, I know you can be in a movie that might be some ass, but like you still can give a good performance. Mahershala and Green Book. Mahershala and Green Book. A lot, a, lot, a lot of the time, how about? Right, you know? right. And he's and he's no exception here. But that is what they do to him. That is exactly what they do to him in most roles is he's usually like the black guy in this certain set of circumstances. You know, the white people are scared and he's either a threat or he's the one who can save them in the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this movie. There's him in those Thor movies. He's in Blood Diamonds. He's in, he's in uh, Blood Diamond as the nice black guy. Blood in Diamond. Blood Diamond. Yeah. yeah. He's in some and other I just, movie. I like... just saw A Quiet Place Part 2 and he is the like, I, you white people are like running from these monsters. I got a garage over here that you can hang out in for 30 minutes of the movie until it's not safe yeah. anymore. Mm. There's another movie where he's like a homeless man and like some white people uh, meet him and like learn to love black people or some shit i, I don't know i mean that's actually that <laughs> technically that's his story did you know like he was an oh actor. For sure. he was he was an actor like model for a minute things weren't going well and he was homeless for a while and he actually uh mm, terry mugler right the photographer mm-hmm. runs into him in dc somewhere and he's like oh my god you got a face man i gotta yeah. put you in stuff and that's literally how his career pops back off. He's well, like, oh, it, I, was, I was doing acting to begin with. And then he's like, oh, man, perfect. Let me put you back in your own career. And that's well, then, what happens to him. Because Spielberg says that he saw him and immediately knew, like, this is the person who needs yeah. to be Sinke for this movie. Um, it's actually ben, pretty good casting. He looks great. Yeah. Is, yeah. Like you said, he did an incredible job. He's acting the fuck out of this movie. And in some ways, it's like, I mean, if you're homeless, right, you're just trying to eat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? In a lot of ways, I don't fault these, I don't fault these actors. It's been, it's 1997. Like, I'm thinking it, yo, like there wasn't, <laughs> I can see you being like, all right, you know, like there's a limited amount of roles that I can have that mad people are gonna <laughs> right. see. Fuck it. You know what I mean? Well, you get to like, be I, a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah, it's a Steven Spielberg, right. like big Hollywood production. Like, of course. I want to be in this movie. Um, He did did a a good ass job. I will say like, my issue is like, not even with him. It's more like, it's more shit that like, like seems both petty and important. Like um, for instance, in the beginning, when they finally get clothes on, those are dark ragged clothes. And at the end, they're all wearing white European clothing. Yes. Like who bought, like what's it? You know what I mean? It's like, this is the shit where it's like keep your third eye open, yeah. full hotel. You know what I mean? Like, there's what some, y'all trying to do right now? There's some weird shit in this movie that happens too that I just don't know. I mean, Steven Spielberg's apparently just making shit up because, like, when they get off the ship, right? Like they're wearing those rags, but then at some point they just have on like African clothing, African, uh, like white, white, all white African garb at the end. Yeah. Oh, not even at the end, just like certain parts of the trial or like when they're in prison. And I'm just like, where did you get? They didn't bring your clothes with you. They didn't want to clothe you. Fam, right. Exactly. They didn't go like, oh, let's like, give me all their measurements. No, there was none of that. Look, never. There was never any of that. Can you pack an outfit before we're about to go on a trip? Like, (laughs) that didn't happen. Right, right, right. So like, it's weird. The weirdest, the weirdest 
like case of that right is the scene after they get you know the the first judgment and they're having that celebration in the prison they're in prison okay who let them set a bonfire who gave them african drums <laughs> yeah who was like basically give them toys to, in their pen you know like the fuck and they're just like watching them yeah. like have this big ass celebration and it's like y'all are still in like you're currently in, in jail. jail why would they let you yeah. do that like that's you are just, behind bars bro i swear i need to go back and look i swear there's a moment where somebody's just in like a grass skirt and i'm like well, I didn't what's see that, happening but like what's that's, going on right 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 Having having spent a brief period of time in jail, I feel like also they just have an exception to me, like, right, just running around a blazing fire. You know, have you know what I mean? I don't yeah. I don't think that's part of rec time. You know no. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Were there was there any other parts of the movie that you're just kind of like, hmm, this because I know you took notes or like this is this is some bullshit? Because I've got some too, but yeah, there was there was we we spoke we spoke to that about how he kept on being naked and it just like I just how fully clothed everyone was like I get you know like it's you know the 1800s like you wear like six layers regardless it's Connecticut I've been there you know what I mean like you're trying to get Lyme's disease but they were just so conspicuously naked that mm-hmm. I was like oh, yeah. it just felt like just weirdly sexual the whole time it was like they're cold like these are Again, these are not bush people. You know, it's like they, right. they, they wear layers. You know what I well, mean? They got fashions. And to speak to that too, in that same sequence, right, in the in the jail where they're having that bonfire, when uh, Sinke is going off for them, he starts stripping his clothes off to get naked again. Right. Which right, is just yeah. like, why, what? Mm. What is happening? <laughs> Symbolism, like he's, he's stripping away the European traffic. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, don't, I, I will don't 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 try to put that nuance on this movie. I, I don't I don't think it's there. I will say the the thing one of the things that just got me is you know this is a movie about this big landmark court ruling where you know these black people won their freedom from the you know slave system, but also you know the U.S. government made a ruling on slavery. But it's like Ben has said and Cameron, you were saying too, like this movie is not about slavery, and really is just about good white people doing the right thing to do the right, right. thing right like the, just the, the the movie is scene after scene about white people taking up the cause yeah in the face of in the face of something that only half the country really thought was like right an utter evil right well because and, here's a, and honestly the other evil. half of the country didn't even think it was an evil they just no. was like yeah. it's not financially viable at this point <laughs> And that's so, really what I mean, that's the game the whole time forever, by yeah. the way. But, you know, it, it's it's so prevalent here. It's just so mm-hmm. obvious here. And it's really gross that this movie tries to. Can I get the floor for a second? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like really pissed oh, off. Oh, 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 oh. OK, camera, I got I got I got you. Let me let me get you lined up with the drop. There we go. Yeah. You know what? This movie conflates his monologue about the hearts of men and about how Joseph Sinke is just a real man, just like him. Yeah. Conflates it with the Supreme Court's decision that it was a technicality and these purchase slaves were purchased illegally, that they are to be sent back and now they are free. Yeah. You know, he has this whole monologue, hearts of men. They show the decision. They say what the decision is based on, this technicality that they were purchased in the Ivory Coast. And then the music swells 
You literally see, mm-hmm. there's literally a mm-hmm. key goes into a fucking keyhole and breaks <laughs> his chains. It's so, it's so Spielberg. It's oh my god. Well, he does so, it. In, he does it every time. It's the big, big moment yeah. in the movie, and they conflate their freedom with Anthony Hopkins' speech about the hearts of men, and it's really gross because what America did is what America does every time. This shit wasn't financially viable. It doesn't. Re- it's a technicality. Like I can't, you can't keep staying yeah. here because you know your rent is already paid or something like that. You know, it's like it's the same shit people go through with their landlords, with EBT cards, with problems with bureaucracy. It's the same shit, and that's what yeah. happens here. And it's really fucking gross that they even tried to say that like he's a human too, and now we are all one race. <laughs> well, cause, fuck cause off. That that is one of my biggest problems is that you know the abolitionists in this movie and like all the white people in this movie are kind of portrayed in this way of like it's all altruism they're all doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing where one at the time right and this is part of the actual history is that the naval men who recovered the ship and brought it back to America purposefully brought it to Connecticut because slavery was still technically legal it was being abolished over time and so they could go to the courts and technically win these people to settle them later because even though you know people think about the north they're like oh they didn't have slavery there you know there was still a legal thing you could do there and they could then through a court case like you're talking about on the technicality oh we found this ship we want to salvage you know what's on the ship and the ship itself salvage also will the property in this case, salvage the property right will equate to the property of being like these people so we can get we can get these people and then sell them later right the abolitionists in general right like where the white people doing the work who just you know despise slavery and all that stuff they did but they didn't eh. want to live with black people like it wasn't like yo like we want this mm. utopian society where all the they were just like no slavery is gross right like it is another one of those like splitting hairs things where it's like yeah slavery is gross like we don't agree with slavery nobody we should don't be agree with the practice of it yes right but do we want to live by black people or do you want black people in a neighborhood do we want to you know mixing of races and like all this other stuff no thank you right like and they're you not created a conundrum now Right. And so, like, even these abolitionist people who are, like, trying to get, and they just wanted to convert them all to, you know, Christianity or whatever their religion was to then, like, all that. So, like, there's a bunch of that where they're, in the movie, it's played as, like, oh, no, like, here are the good white people who really, you know, feel feel a strong way about this and they want to to do right by these, you know, black people who just had a, a poor break and were kidnapped. When in reality, it's like, well, you know, like this is kind of further in our cause and our political power and our ability to kind of like have sway over things. Again, like when that dude is like, well, if they die, that kind of helps us too. You know, like it's not like it's kind of a win. Like they get free, they die. Like we kind of get what we want anyways. And so this movie does this movie does pull the wool back a little bit. uh, Well, at least it's honest about that fact that Lewis Tappan, the. Uh, abolitionist was like fam it could go either way i'm not that mad yeah also john quincy adams was a noted abolitionist but even in this movie they say that he went he's on record as an abolitionist but wouldn't care to be you know nationally regarded as that Oh, for sure well there's a lot of people like that for political reasons i'm sure yeah 
Yo, but I also, so like, it was interesting because I was totally, I was like a little thrown off by the heel turn by like, what is it? The Dutch dude or whatever, the the uh, abolitionist guy who was like alive or dead or whatever. It yeah, doesn't Skarsgård, matter. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. Right. So, so then when I, I read about it, they were saying that, um, that these people, that the abolitionists were like making 12 cents a head. I don't know how much that is in today's money. Mm. Probably a lot. 12 cents a head off of just like doing tours, uh, like watching the Mende people that they were trying to like get them to like convert to Christianity. So it wasn't just like one hapless dude with an ape yeah. drape at the top of the stairs. Like they were really trying to like convert them. It's so interesting because it's like in, in reading that and thinking back, it was like, okay, someone was trying to cover that, right? Yeah. They were trying to like, you know, oh, they didn't yeah, want to yeah, do, yeah, do too yeah. much. And it made me think about this like vicious cycle with these movies where it's like, I feel like at some level, they're like, well, if we tell the real story, people are not ready for that. They won't believe it, right? But they keep on making movies like this. So no one ever really founds out. Like you yeah. said, it's like, at the end of the day, none of the white people, yo, like in reality, Morgan Freeman, who is not a real fucking person, right? He's yeah, just by the way, character. not a real character, not a real human. Yo, but so Morgan Freeman, Right, not a real person would not have been allowed in court. Would never mm -hmm. be at any of these white niggas' houses. No, nope. you know what I mean. <laughs> Morgan Freeman, who is almost made in a lab for white people to like, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, you know what I mean. Both earrings in. Hoops, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Like letting you say the word in context. Like, mm -hmm. like that dude. They would not fuck with, and he would not oh, be allowed. And that's the reality. And that's what blows my mind. It's like, like even these little turns where like, oh, that was weird. He's kind of a dick. And then I feel like they want the white people to think, well, just don't be that guy. But yo, yep. it's even worse. Right. Even the abolitionist, the quote unquote abolitionist systematically fucking like, they you know, using the many people. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were trying to profit off of them the same way that this whole shit is about money. Yeah. This whole thing was about it for, for everybody literally except for the slaves yeah well so that there's there's two more points that i want to just touch on with the with the movie itself sure sure and that's the, the whole thing with morgan freeman's character is just wild like not only he only he, oh my god i'm sorry not, go ahead go ahead yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's not even that he wasn't a real person which is you know like like they do that a lot but like the fact that he like what why was he in this movie right like what was the so, point of morgan freeman's that, uh, character what is this man's job also like like yes because okay, he like, doesn't have a specific in, job he's just hanging out right. with the abolitionists he doesn't like, say he's he an abolitionist at all right he's not he's not he's not you know like a forensic pathologist like they just brought my man's down there in a petticoat and a top hat <laughs> just walking around in the dark with hooks and chains and shit like what was he doing there anyway well, and Who then he, told him to go there? No one told they, him to go searching. The, hey, Baldwin didn't say, hey, Jolson, go down there in the gallows with all them chains and shit and see what you can find, fam. But then he also no. just straight shows up at John Quincy Adams' house. Who the like fuck let him cool. in? You know what I mean? Like, right. who, who would just let him roll in to talk to a former president, like their best friends? Like, they never established who he is and what his or deal what is, he right? does yes because they call him an ex-slave like they just drop ex-slave in as like exposition at some point right but then he's got all these weird interactions with the mende people where 
I don't know if he's supposed to be like reckoning with like slavery or him being free because it from what I'm trying to put together I don't think he's from Africa I think he was no. born a slave in he's America slave. and so I don't know if Spielberg's trying to make some connection between people who are born slaves and like brought in from Africa or because there's like a weird like they do like a handshake at some point near the uh, end where that, it's just uh, like he dapped him up at the end of the fucking movie bro some he weird dapped him dap up yeah. when he was free the first thing he did when Joseph Sinke got free was dap up my nigga Morgan over on the side yo this movie is egregious bro the only I'm sorry I'm sorry I just <laughs> I think it's, this shit is gross this character was literally invented by a white screenwriter for the black people watching this movie to have that connection. He, he was for me. Shut the fuck up. You know it. Shut the fuck up. You know it. You fuck up. That's he not dapped true. my nigga up at the end of the movie like we you free, bro. You, you watched it happen. This is this is our insert character? This is Morgan your Freeman? This is Morgan Freeman is the black person's audience avatar, bro. Ugh, I hate boy. to pick on Morgan Freeman, but I don't even feel like Morgan Freeman is the right actor for a black insert character. No, you are a thousand percent right. Yeah. He's, he's got no. freckles. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's too nice. He's so nice. And there's all these right. scenes where he's like, Morgan, go talk to that nigga. I don't know what he's saying. And he's like, nigga, I don't know what he's saying. I'm second generation, bro. I haven't been to Africa. All I know is y'all. It's it's crazy that they put this stuff on him. Like yeah. the, the dap, him handing him the lion tooth at the end. Yeah. All that yeah, made me want to fucking that? vomit. Yeah. Yo, here's, my here's my drip, dog. Yo, there were so <laughs> many things. There were so many things where it was like, it felt like a white writer was like, wow, this this must have been weird and didn't ask nobody. Like, didn't like, like, well, also, you know he, didn't, he didn't have any black friends to like engage right. with. Like, yeah. is this weird? If if right. I have sink a dap up uh Morgan Freeman at the end, is that a bad call? Should I not do that? There was shit like I'm remembering the scene where they're being taken off the boat and they turn to a to a, a black, presumably like slave or something who's mm -hmm. like driving the carriage and they're like, oh, that's right, yeah. yo, dog, what's up? Like, what's <laughs> going on? It's fucking crazy. Like, we're in Kane's dog. Don't yo, talk to you me. got room for us? I don't you know. know and he's just like, he's like <laughs> I don't I don't fucking you know what I, I mean? Don't know and there's there's a whole bunch of shit that could have been tackled in this in this movie. And I'm mm -hmm. I maybe stick skipping ahead, but there were so many things like that where where it felt like a white writer was like, oh yeah, like there was already black people here. That must have been weird. And then moves <laughs> on. How quickly can we get the white people on screen? Like just moves the fuck yeah. on. Well, like so, tries to tackle it and then gets afraid because he's like, damn, what if they really talk to each other? I don't know what they would say. Yeah, well, I feel this like is... afraid, but like shit, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to give a nigga some money to right. advise me how this might have gone. <laughs> Let me skip it over. I don't want them to feel themselves too much because it's 1997 and yeah. 92 was not that far away, and we're still scared. Well, so uh, the the thing, the last thing about the movie itself, more so than any movie we've watched so far, like there's a bunch of white saviors in the film, right? But I feel like the ultimate white savior of this movie is Steven Spielberg himself. Like, you are 100,000% correct. So, <laughs> like Steven Spielberg just completely, because we're going to talk about this in just one second, the, the many, many, many historical inaccuracies with this movie. But 
it felt like Steven Spielberg was like, fuck history. I just, I have a story that I want to tell, right? Like I've got a story that I want to tell and I don't (laughs) care about what actually happened. Give me the basic beats of history and then I'll write around it and then create something that's palatable because first and foremost, right? The black people in this movie, specifically we're talking about Jinjima Hansu and just the Mende people at a certain point, like when you get into the beginning, it is very much so okay here like we're in it right like they are the only characters that we're seeing in this movie they free themselves they're on the ship we're getting Mm -hmm. interactions between them like they are another weird thing that i'm just like i know this is possible but from my understanding of how a lot of slave trading worked they didn't take people from a lot of the same region because they could speak the same language and that resulted in shit like this where they could communicate to each other and kill everybody so they did it on purpose they they definitely mixed people up on purpose so they couldn't communicate right so like it seems like they just took a bunch of the same people from the same I Oops. guess that's what's happening. I don't know. Because they're all talking to each other in a way that I'm like, do they all speak the same language? Or I don't, that's never made clear. And then we yeah. find out later that they like, there's three tribes going on. Right. But like, we, we start off with them. And then as soon as white people get into this movie, not only are the Mende people very much so secondary characters, but like, they are the emotion, like they're there to turn the emotional pins of the movie like they're there might as well be faceless might as well be faceless black people like even the the famous give us us free is like they 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 key in on the faces of the white people in the crowd and the judge to kind of be like that's Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be Sinke's like pov that's like one of the few scenes that's like actively his pov and he's tense and he's freaking out and he just wants his freedom Right, but like so much that like really the only autonomy they get in this movie is when they kill the white people in the beginning, because the rest mm-hmm. of it is just them at the mercy of these white people, whether or not they decide to let them free or whatever else they decide to do with them. And like there's so much riding on uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, and then like you know John Quincy Adams in the end, where it's just a lot of mm-hmm. like the black people end up just kind of waiting around or, you know, they're there to tell them like, you're, you're doing this wrong. You're not doing enough. Or like they have to justify their humanity repeatedly so that the white people say, you know what? Yeah. And maybe it's worth it to send you free because that's the thing we're going to talk about when we, when we do the revisions of this movie is that when you think about the Creole ship, right? Like Ben was talking about, like, mm-hmm. The reason that Amistad seemingly is a more palatable story is that they're able to kind of make these Black people seem, like, worthy of freedom, right? Like, there's a, there's an element of, like, oh, well, like, of, like who would—I mean, they say it repeatedly. Who wouldn't do what they did faced with that situation, right? But— when the black people on the Creole killed those American slave traders and took their freedom and then peaced out, it's kind of like, well, but that's against the institutions of America and you're kind of, and it's like, well, then it's a different situation, right? Like those, those aren't acceptable black people, right? The black people who, you know, were slaves and then just took off and got their freedom that way. I didn't know respectability politics applied to rebellion uh, apparently they do because like, they, the like there's, there's a certain again there's a certain palatability not just to like 
Jinjimin Hansu's performance, but like all of the Mende performances, right? Like there's a there's a bit of just like we talk about it a lot too, right? Like dignity and respect, right? Like that is like what they, they just want dignity and respect. And if you're respectable and you have dignity and white people can see it and key in on that, then they can't deny you your humanity and rights. But it's like, what if I just don't want to be a fucking slave? <laughs> what, what about that? Yeah. Like, is that acceptable to you? Like, what if I just don't want to be enslaved anymore and I want to get my wife back and my family back and go live somewhere where you can't fuck with me? Like, do you want to watch that movie? And it's like, oh, no, not really. We don't want to, we can't, you can't yeah, that be, movie. We can't sell that movie to white people in the middle of the country. Right, because in that movie, the black people are the heroes because they're the ones who have the autonomy, who get the freedom, who take the ship and go somewhere else and free themselves. Whereas in this movie, it does still kind of entirely rotate around these white saviors who can come in and be the white person's pov in this movie where it's like yeah. i would do that too i would be matthew mcconaughey i would be john quincy adams i would say the thing at the right time to defend and stand up for whoever because if Sinke was just like fuck y'all do you still want to free him like if he just doesn't want to cooperate with you or if he it doesn't you know if he's yeah, being with the shits like is he still yeah. respectable if he's not somebody because that's we'll talk about this i guess we could just start getting into this because i mean a lot of it is you know like these abolitionists saw people that they could teach they could teach english they could teach christianity and eventually they go with them back to sierra leone on a mission and like established missionaries in sierra leone using mm -hmm. the Mende people as like surrogates so they can have an in in Sierra Leone and like establish these missionaries and do all these missions and shit. So like, it's not all altruism with it, but like, would you believe if I told you Steven Spielberg is a lying motherfucker? <laughs> because this movie is so, let's, I'm just gonna run it down because there's so much shit that you're just like, huh, okay. And what is not surprising is so much of it basically undoes all the goodwill that the white people in the movie earn through being white savers, right? So the, the judge, <laughs> the judge that gets put in originally when they when they replace the judges, right? Judge Andrew Judson. Would you believe that before this ruling, he had instituted several laws and rulings in Connecticut that didn't allow black children to go to school and basically punished white people for teaching black kids? Mm. Oh, mm. <laughs> so now my nigga Judston. <laughs> <laughs> now my dog, come on. That's who he is. Would you believe that Justice Roger B. Tarney of the Supreme Court uh, would later in 1857 hand down the Dred Scott decision? Of I course would because he, he would. looked oh, racist. Fucking, yeah. yeah, he looked he looked mad racist. Yeah, uh, he looked like those, he said nigga twice, more than twice. Uh, for those who don't, he looks know. like he says it like smoother than I do. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it comes out. Don't easy. get my coffee, nigga. <laughs> I'm thirsty. <laughs> Lots of milk. Yeah, lots of milk. <laughs> mm, like my skin. Mm. <laughs> For those who don't know about the Dred Scott decision, that was uh, a legal proceeding in which they decided that a black man has no rights that the white man is bound yeah. to respect. So, you know, <laughs> it's that's... like the worst. It's like the worst case 
in American history for like black folks. Yeah, pretty much along that's, the lines. That's how that's how Justice Roger B. Tarney got down. That's how he feel. Yeah, that's how, yeah. Uh, the Mende people, unlike you know, we kind of see in this movie, they were held in prison for basically two years. Like the, yeah, the entirety of them being in America was them being in prison. Upon- this movie also does not like let that be known that this yeah. is like a two-year process and these people were just as enslaved as they were like they would have been apparently if didn't go their way they got to have cookouts and celebrations in prison like it wasn't that bad you know like they got nice clothes and you oh, know, stepping. got to yeah got, <laughs> got to read some books about jesus <laughs> and you know it was a good time uh, reading the bible they was like check out this jesus dude man yeah. yo let's eat some hot dogs yeah, great right. Uh, but so what happens is the the Supreme Court makes the ruling, right? Mm. They're not they're free, but they can't go back to Africa because part of that ruling is, oh, we aren't going to pay for that shit. Y'all can just y'all y- y'all just free now, right? So like they have to figure out a way to raise the funds to go back to Africa. So it's another eight months of them being in Connecticut with these abolitionists fundraising, trying to get the money together to go back to Africa. In the movie, we see uh, Josiah Willard Gibbs, who's kind of like the dude in the beginning with Matthew McConaughey, and they're trying to translate, and he's like making shit up, and he doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, actually, oh, sh- not- shout out, shout out, Austin Pendleton. I've met that guy a couple times. <laughs> he, he, he's 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 interesting. Well, he was a whole lie in this movie because the real Josiah I mean, Willard yeah. Gibbs <laughs> was an actual <laughs> linguist. He was the one who actually figured out how to count to 10 in Mende. Like he communicated with the Mende people and, and figured out how to do that. That scene where they go down into the docks, did like that was real. Like he did go down and just start counting to 10 in Mende. And then there, I mean, James Covey, who was uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, was a real person and was like, oh, word, I speak that language. So that that that's one of the only true things in this movie. Um, you see in the yeah and the, like with the abolitionists trying to you know convert them to christianity like they did do that for a number of them and one of the children like i think they were like 11 years old learned enough english to write john quincy adams to convince him to represent them in the supreme court which is like for for steven spielberg who is clearly trying to make this like a heartwarming movie for white people like why didn't you include that moment? Like little kid writes John Quincy Adams heartwarming letter to give that us been a whole like, sequence. That could yeah. have been a yeah. whole fucking you could have put that in there, but I guess he missed an opportunity, bro. Um Yo, the lack of adorable black children in this movie mm-hmm. is a is a real travesty. That's yeah. the real crime. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe that the cabin boy of the Amistad was actually ruled to be returned to his owners instead of going back to Africa. So yo, that's like, fucked up. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you can't. So wait, you can't, your dude you came over on the ship. Yeah. <clears throat> Watch these people revolt, stick full swords in people. And he was yeah. like, Yeah, I'm getting my free too. He's like, oh sorry, you? Nah, you gotta go you gotta go uh over here with these guys. Yeah. Did he um, go back to where did he go? Did he go back he, to Spain or Spain? He went back to Cuba. So he was he went back to Cuba. He was mm. he was separate. I guess what they they ruled is that he was a separate case from the rest of the Mende people because he was a cabin boy on the ship, and so technically was property of this dude in Cuba, and so they just sent him back to that dude. I was gonna say <laughs> it's like the it's like the feeling of being the last kid at camp, like up to a thousand. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Like you waiting for your parents to pick you up. Oh, yeah. oh, jeez. But this and, is slavery, and you're and ten the, years old. <laughs> and, and then the slave owner shows up, and you're like, God damn. I was gonna make say another joke. I was gonna make another joke and say, "Damn, <laughs> who he? I don't know him. Don't. I'm not going with him." I was gonna say this whole movie sounds like an like an Amazon box dispute. Like I got the wrong package. <laughs> <laughs> this whole shit sounds horrible. It's like, yo, I didn't order this dildo. Mm. I ordered forty four slaves. <laughs> Well, <laughs> this is terrible. This is awful. I do want to forty-four slaves. Not one more, not one less. Make sure you get them all. <laughs> exactly forty-four. <laughs> Shout I have out a job my that requires exactly forty-four <laughs> unwilling <I> workers. <laughs> I have no plans on paying them. Yeah. Which Yo, I mean, shout out my ancestors. I know you. I love y'all. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> shout out, shout out Jeff Bezos, because that's—I mean—he could sound like that. Yo, too. Sh- <laughs> yo, he does get down like that. Jeff yeah. Bezos heard this podcast and he was like, "That sounds like a good idea." Yeah, mm. you can. We that motherfucker spit do that slavery. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you hear about this one? Yeah. My mouth, my mouth watering. And and briefly to, to retouch back on the the Creole ship mutiny, um. Just to, yeah, like to, to refill that in, like Madison Washington was a slave who escaped from Virginia, but went back to rescue his wife and was captured again. So he and 300 other slaves were put on the ship. They were being sent to New Orleans, but they broke out, killed everybody on board, except for a few people, and then got to the Bahamas, which was a British colony. But so here's the trip, right? 1941 is when this happens. So 1941 is when the Supreme Court ruling is going down. So these kind of- 1841. 1841, sorry. 1941 was uh, World War II, bro. That would have been a bitch. (laughs) I was almost going to let that go and just be like, "Mm, I mean, it's probably true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows, right? Like, (laughs) 1841 is, so these things are going down concurrently, right? Like the Supreme Court ruling is happening and this Creole incident is happening at the same time. So on the one hand, you have this ruling that the Supreme Court makes where they're like, oh, yeah, like this dispute, we're going to rule on behalf of, you know, the slaves and, and send them back to Africa. In the case of the Creole ship, though, they spend years and years and years trying to get them back. Like they're suing Britain, they're suing the colony, they're trying, they want the ship back, they want all those slaves back, right? And so... Frederick Douglass is like, well, this is some bullshit uh, because all the that was like his people- favorite phrase, bro. That was his yes, favorite phrase. Some, this is some fucking bullshit. Put it, put it on his tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Frederick, Frederick Douglass, Douglass. 1941. Yeah. <laughs> Frederick Douglass, who died in 1941. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is bullshit. Well, no quote. <laughs> um, because all those same people that you see in this movie, right? The abolitionists, the lawyers, John Quincy Adams, et cetera, they ain't got shit to say about the Creole, right? Like they're all about the Amistad. They ain't got shit to say about this. So Frederick Douglass comes out and he says, and I quote, uh, what a world of inconsistency as well as of wickedness and how strange and perverse is the most sen- is that moral sentiment which loathes, execrates, and brands as piracy and as deserving of death, the carrying away into captivity, men, women, and children from the African coast. 
but which is neither shocked nor disturbed by a similar traffic carried on with the same motives and purposes and characterized by even more odious peculiarities on the coast of our model republic. The inconsistency is so flagrant and glaring that it would seem to cast a doubt on the doctrine of the innate moral sense of mankind. So he's he's spitting too. He's just like yeah, bars, yeah, hard y'all, bars. Y'all, y'all, <laughs> y'all motherfuckers, hypocrites. Basically, like how, how, yeah. how are we doing one and not the other, right? Like um, I said, this whole movie is predicated on a technicality. They win both cases on mm-hmm. a technicality that these slaves were purchased illegally in the wrong spot. And also another thing about this technicality, they were purchased in the Ivory Coast, which is part of the continent of Africa. If they were purchased literally anywhere else on the continent, on their own continent, it would have been cool. Yeah. They still would have been American property. Right. This movie is Mm. like hella fucked up, yo. Mm. Well, well, and they also do, we didn't talk about this either, but they also do the thing where they're like, did you know that black people sold black people to to slave traders? So like, this this movie definitely tries to like for five minutes be like, hey, y'all ain't safe, fam. Yeah, y'all did right. your own shit dirty. Y'all, y'all right. are complicit in this too. They're really trying to get that off. Yeah. yeah. They really tried yep. to, like, yeah. not just us, guys. It wasn't just <laughs> us. Okay, we're not totally bad. <laughs> this is, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, it's such a white movie. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. it really takes, and it's like, it's so crazy because I don't think any white people realize how white this movie is exactly for that reason and exactly for what it, it chooses to focus on. And even if it was a movie, and I know we're going to talk about this, even if you made a movie about this, if you really made a movie about Black people, about these Black people, it wouldn't even be this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, who the fuck takes this story and it's like, you know what we got to give the most time to in a story in which people are in prison, but there's an insurrection, and a bunch of them learn English, the court case. <laughs> that takes some insanity. To be like, I yeah. know it's going to be a great movie. The fucking court case around this wait, is wait, wait. about property. T- two court cases, by the way. Right. I yeah. apologize. Two- <laughs> actually, two I forgot that on my second viewing this afternoon, I forgot that when they win the first, the state case, there's 45 minutes of fucking movie left. <laughs> there's a lot. It's two and a there's half a- hours. This is a long movie. This is a long ass movie. Speaking of a long-ass movie, here's a quote from Steven Spielberg on the making of yeah, this movie. Let's get into it. Because he's talking about, there's a, there's a featurette that you can watch on YouTube, which is like the behind-the-scenes making of Amistad. And it's the, same, it's the same shit you see with all of these movies, where it's a bunch of white people smiling about how they solved slavery and they made They're this important They're doing the movie. work. Yeah, they solved racism. They made this important movie. Everybody should, like, love us for it. And so, I mean, you, even your boy Morgan Freeman's in there, like, cheesing and like, man, I get to dress up in period costumes. And I'm like, this is great. My nigga drove, my nigga <laughs> drove Miss Daisy around. He, know, he knows what role yeah. he's playing. He good. He good. Bro, I'm saying. Someone got a check his card out i don't know <laughs> like, I, I, don't lo- I love shucking yeah. and jiving i love some shucking and i love some jiving oh, freeman out period costume all the time <laughs> freeman <laughs> out <laughs> <laughs> oh, um so like in the making of this movie they did get a bunch of west african people to come and be the myriad of Mende people who you see they don't really get any line there's like there's Dijman Hansu there's another person who gets to kind of be like the other black person who yeah the dude who almost yeah the dude who reads, reads his bible 
And then there's like one other person who gets to like react to what Digimon Hansu says to him, right? Like he kind of gets to like nod or like smile or like receive the joke. Uh, uh, uh Boake or something like Boake yeah. or something like that. He's the one who's like walking with them in the town square and he's like, his head is down. And he's like, hold yeah. your head high. Right. And hold your but, head high. And there's nobody else. Like nobody else really gets any lines or gets to say anything. Like those are really no. the only three. But they, they, there's 44 of them. Debbie Allen took them to what I can only describe as slave school. <laughs> That's right. You know what? Now you said that. And I instantly remembered the Oprah Winfrey show episode <laughs> surrounding Amistad being like, this is a movie of the moment. Yeah. Moments. And that, and she talks to Debbie Allen and uh, Steven Spielberg. And she does even say that phrase, which is like, oh, she what? says slave school. Oh, okay. Slave wow. yeah. school? <laughs> I, I feel it. Crazy. Kind of. You said well, slave school to Oprah? Yeah. That happened. Look. You, Look. Can't, you can't say slave school to Oprah. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So she <laughs> like brings them in and she's trying to like tell them like this is what the movie's gonna be. She's like, you know, I had a whip and like I was like, you know, this is you're gonna be in chains and like you have to like really like embody. I don't like none of this. The slave. Wait, I'm sorry. Like what? It. She has a whip? Yeah, like you can like watch the featurette because it is wild. They're in like a dance studio and she's like <laughs> not whipping them, but she's like forcing them to march and she's like pushing them around and like all this stuff. It's pretty crazy. So then Steven Spielberg said, and I want to get the quote right. Steven Spielberg says this. So Steven Spielberg, if you know him and you know his directorial style and you see him, because in the featurette, what you see a lot is Steven Spielberg is literally if you just pan to the left a little bit, like he's in frame, like he's right. In, he's not in the director's chair. He's like right in the action. He's talking to them. Like during the scene, he's like cutting them off and like coaching them and doing all this stuff. So Steven Spielberg says this, uh, that they weren't like, th these weren't movie chains. These were real chains. Like they put them in real for real actual chains. And so he says they were uncomfortable and actually had their feelings hurt, which is one of the most remarkable things I learned that first day. Oh. I don't know what to make of that. I'm out. But just the like idea. It. So think about this. Steven Spielberg puts a bunch of West African black people in for real, for real chains. Debbie Allen is marching them around a dance studio, teaching them how to be slaves. Then they do that middle passage scene where, you know, Steven Spielberg is like almost face to face with them, coaching them through black pain. And I just have so many questions about what that experience was like because it sounds fucking crazy. Digital Hatsu is like basically saying like, wow, like the first day he felt so humiliated and felt like so like downtrodden just in terms of like, you know, like embodying this role. Like, I guess they were trying to go for as much reality as possible. But like we talked about too, like they really get into the, like brutality of slavery kind of sort of because like other, i mean they don't even get into the rape and like all the other stuff that was going on on those slave ships right. but like it is like a weird sanitized version of just like they beat them a lot and they didn't really feed them and like it was I, terrible i, I don't, I don't but, know if i said this earlier you can cut this out if i said this earlier but I was talking to you about this before we started recording yeah. and that that middle passage sequence is probably the most violent 
Steven Spielberg gets on screen, mm-hmm. aside from Schindler's List. Yeah, like this is the most gore you're going to see in a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, yeah, even though the dinosaurs are like chewing up, you know, lawyers <laughs> and stuff in Jurassic Park, you don't see a whole lot of blood. You don't see mm-hmm. a whole lot of guts and entrails and all that shit. Yeah. This middle passion sequence is hard to watch. Yeah. And even in the Spielbergian way of it, because, you know, his whole thing is sweeping cameras, mm-hmm. very uh, almost. And I, I hate to use this term because it's not, but it is. He, he does like poetic visuals. So it's like instead of a person getting stabbed, you see like their silhouette behind behind a sail. Yeah. And then you see the sword go through that with some right. blood on it. Like it's all like very visceral in the in in it's not visceral in the sense of I'm going to see some gore and some, you know, eyeballs pop out or anything like that. But you will see some very, very stylized violence. And it's a rated R movie. Like I said, it's the most violent he ever gets in his entire filmography, just about Mm -hmm. besides Schindler's List, which includes some things that I never thought I'd even see on screen. Yeah, real for real. Well. The reception to this movie was not. I, I, we talked about the box office, right? So it made forty-four million dollars. It wasn't a, a smash hit for Spielberg. It, it um, makes forty-four million on a thirty-six million dollar budget, so it's technically a success. You recruit, right. so you know. right. Critics, I mean, you know, it's got a seventy-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a. Um, let's see what it has on IMDb. It's got a seven point three. Like. People, for the most part, are receptive to it. There are a few, I mean, the criticisms are less about like the white saviorism, although, you know, some people do get into that, but mostly it's just like, it was, it was kind of long and boring, right? Like there's a lot of just, it's a courtroom drama, you know, it's, it's not really that interesting in terms of like this long ass story that you're telling, but really, you know, people like, they like the performances, they like Anthony Hopkins and they like Digimon Hansu and you know a bunch of other people in the movie so it's received in a way that people are like okay and you know obviously people accept the movie as just fact like it's a real it's a real story this is factual information if you watch Amistad <laughs> you know about Amistad even though I forgot I forgot to include this too in in the this is one because we're going to talk about this briefly because I do want to speak on this, but um, Matthew McConaughey's character is a lie too. Like that dude was not a property lawyer. He was a for real abolitionist lawyer and went on to become the governor of Connecticut. So like he was not like some dude who was just trying to come up off these abolitionists like he was already doing this shit. So to say that is to say it's very weird and very hard to accept large swaths of this movie because if you're even lying about the white people, like you know, you're it's <laughs> you're not even like just making up shit about these black people, which they totally are, right? Like every scene mm. in which Sinke and you know the black <laughs> people are talking to each other is a lie because you don't know what they were talking about when they were in jail. Every scene yeah. in which Sinke is like relating these stories about lions and shit that's a lie because you know there's just no record of him saying that there's some records of what he was talking about that you can read but for a lot of it like you're just making up dialogue between black people and dialogue so like when it comes to history right specifically white history right and specifically white history about black events and black history i don't believe any of that shit 
right? Because white people have no reason to make themselves look bad in the eyes of history. If you can tell a story that makes yourself look great or makes history more palatable or at least makes you not a villain, why would you why would you be truthful? Why would you what, do that? Yeah, what 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 motivation do you have to be honest about stuff? And so even when you look at the way that we teach history, right, which is through a very white lens, specifically if you're going to a public school, you're getting a lot of stuff where like, not only do we just not talk about <laughs> so much of Black history, like the actual events of Black history, but when we do talk about it, we get the, oh yeah, like, well, there was slavery and then there was the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. was a great man. And unfortunately, some people shot him, but we learned a lot. And we, we it's, passed it's much like the, It's much <laughs> like the, the dap up at the end of this movie. <laughs> you know, we so, won, yo. I'm gonna dap you up. I'm gonna give you a lion tooth and I'm gonna go back to Africa. We all good. Peace. Right. right. So there's a lot of shit in this movie that I'm just like, what is real, right? Because they even changed John Quincy Adams' speech. Like he gave a fucking eight hour speech. And they just wrote a Hollywood speech in lieu of that. So it's a long speech regard. That's a long speech as far as Hollywood yeah. even goes. It's like a seven, eight minute speech. And they say that Anthony Hopkins did that in one take, which I bet he did. Yeah. Props to him for that. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the problem with so many of these movies is these are our stories, right? Like this is our history. These are stories about us, about our people. And not only are they being told from a white lens, but even when you have to go back and research the history, it is kind of harrowing to look into things because what can you trust, right? Like, unless you're mm -hmm. getting literal quotes from these people, autobiographies, letters, things that are in their words, like it's kind of difficult at times to read through things and parse through things and say, well, is that really what happened? Or are these white people just recording history and then telling me something that makes them look better? Because even we talked a little bit about like insurrections and stuff, right? So in North Carolina, there's an insurrection around like the 1920s where they just killed all the black elected officials and like white supremacists took the town over again. And then in the newspapers, and in the official historical documents, basically just were like, oh, they all got voted out of office and uh, like, you know, like they just suppressed the shit so that like if you didn't actually know what happened, you would have never known that that was an event that took place. So thinking about stuff like this, I'm just kind of like, I mean, what if any research did Steven Spielberg or the screenwriter do to look into this movie to make it historically accurate? And then on top of that, what is true right because i really this is fascinating this is a fascinating story it is fascinating to think about what it is like for these african people not only to be kidnapped and brought over through the middle passage to survive that but also to be caught up in this bureaucratic bullshit with all these people who are basically deciding their fate they don't understand what these people are saying they don't know what's going on they don't really have any autonomy in the situation in terms of getting free they just have to trust that these people are going to do the right thing by them, which has to be like a terrifying situation. And you never really get that in this movie, right? Like you never really get the absolute terror that you have to feel being in that situation as one of these people of like, how can I even trust somebody who supposedly is on my side they joke about it like they say that you know baldwin is like a dung scraper or like something like that like he looks like he's incompetent or whatever but even that is like i would be 
horrified and like i mean i would be traumatized if i survived the middle passage period right but then on top of that to be locked i'm in prison like they're (laughs) they've locked me up and they're discussing me i'm being trotted out to kind of like inspect and people are saying things that i don't understand and maybe i go home or maybe they just kill me and it's not up to me what happens something that you're also making me think of that i think is like um even though like the like the performances are good like still the mende people are basically um angry like murderously angry like indignant or are full of dignity and sort of sadness and then that that's basically it like yeah like it's it it's it continues to sort of like feed this like this like sort of depiction like these are very two-dimensional characters right like because of course like you're taken from your family you go through not just one but just a parade of deeply disturbing experiences like and then you are current like they talk about how people are traumatized by just the uh the experience of going to prison today you know what i mean like never mind being just in bondage seemingly in in perpetuity in a place that you know nothing about Mm -hmm. and it's like i feel like maybe like the give us us free moment was like like i was really trying to like wrap my head like (laughs) why did this happen in this moment like it there's no lead up to it there's no build up to it it doesn't make any fucking sense at all but i'm like is this it they're just sort of like oh my man my man just sort of like broke down a little bit but Mm -hmm. it's it's just this thing where it's like again right it's like it has to like it's almost as if there was no, I mean, I don't think there was any attempt, right, to, to actually do it from the Black POV, right? Right. Because yeah. to, to even to do that within the, the world of this movie, I think even if you did it in the world of this movie and gave them more, like, gave them more layers, like, really sort of, like, played out the alienation, the, the trauma and stuff, you would instantly turn America and the good white people as well as the bad into sort of like a, a terrifying place of which it it was yeah it so, still is <laughs> so should we and so should is. we get into that so should we get into that what 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 uh we want to reimagine this thing is uh well before sure. we do that i will i will get us out of the behind the scenes and research part with our favorite here spike lee uh who oh, yeah. was just was was your man did not like this movie your man did not he, he have a lot very, nice to say about this he, he was very hot about this movie um so this is spike lee on on amistad and also just on spielberg kind of in general um he says and this is him speaking about the color purple and amistad uh, he didn't get it. If you look at Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, and then you look at Amistad and The Color Purple, they look like they were made by different filmmakers. But he did Schindler's List. I read that he said, I don't care if this film just makes a nickel. I want to be truthful. I'm going to shoot it in black and white, which is death at the box office. No stars. Boom. Great movie. Now we get to Amistad, which is also about a Holocaust. And now all of a sudden Spielberg's commercial hat is on. That's why we get Matthew McConaughey in the movie. That's why all the footage of the slaves got junked that's why the Africans are extras in that movie. And all of a sudden he has to make money. He's making commercial decisions when, whereas when he did Schindler's list, all that stuff was thrown out the window. He just wanted to do a great film. It's very disturbing to me, which I can't, I can't argue with. (laughs) Yeah. It all makes sense. I I can't take spike seriously after that Bitcoin ad though. That's the hard (laughs) thing about the spike take. Yeah. He wild. (laughs) Your boy, your boy wild. 
uh well let's let's like camera was saying let's transition into remaking this film ben or camera i don't know if either of you have a take that you want to start I, with i mean ben what you were saying earlier about how if this movie was centered around the africans and their experience which it tries to be in the middle of the movie with that middle patches sequence and the earlier sequence like you said america would be a fucking terrifying place to just show up after multiple weeks of being out on sea and exposed to famine just ill conditions and then you show up and you're immediately auctioned off and put to work in places that you've never seen before in your entire life that movie is actually much more gripping and much more tense like and you're actually faced with real complexities that you're actually that actually could speak to something versus this movie, which is about whether or not these abolitionists and these property lawyers win a court case, yep. because that's what this, the actual movie is predicated on. And then we swipe to some, some shackles getting loosened and we think slavery got fixed, you know, for a little bit here, but instead that th this movie should be about the people who are subjugated and it's, we don't, we don't really get a lot of that other than to sensationalize a really boring two and a half hour movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking just about like the comedy of like the dystopian experience of just being in court already. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, just like the, like all of it, like if you speak the language, right, it's already just like a parade of like meaninglessness and mm -hmm. like, like new like these nuances that make no inherent sense but it might fucking kill you you know what it i mean might get you killed, yeah. <laughs> yeah right you know what i mean it's, especially if you're black at this time right and so this idea that this is like in that is, is like in that that has become the frame for like people to make grand speeches is crazy like yeah i agree a movie in which people are lost in this like endless seemingly like endless parade of fucking weird circuses where they don't know what's going on that would be a really amazing movie about our court system you know what i mean and yeah. history you know what i yeah. mean um i i would love to see that you know what i mean like i i think that that would do a lot or conversely get john singleton in here and see what he would do with it mm -hmm. i think actually going back on it i would i'd love to see this through that that kid's eyes you know what i mean whether it's the kid who like cool. learned English, you know what I mean? Because you would even get more of that feeling of just being lost, right? Because mm -hmm. you're already a child in an adult world and the adult adults around you are powerless, right? Right. You know right. what I mean? And that's an experience. And if it's not him, put it on Antonio. You know what I mean? Fuck it. If we make enough characters, throw those <laughs> throw those niggas together. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Fuck it. You know what I mean? Like what sort of crazy movie about a kid lost in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like trying to, but who was smart enough, and this feels like part of the black experience, you know what I mean? Like to be to be uh, hardworking enough, you know, to be sharp enough to learn a whole new goddamn language, right? Yeah. Probably no one's trying to teach you that shit. You know what I no. mean? And you get a bunch of people saved, whoops, you're not saved. You know what I mean? Mm. You get the same... You get the same kind of ending, you know what yeah. I mean? That we got this movie. Yeah. 
That yeah. that little that little dude's code switching on a million right there. <laughs> Learned a whole <laughs> He was the first code switcher. <laughs> Are we talking about stones? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Let's get this nigga to write a letter. He's, really, he's, he's, he's sharp. Stones. Damn. He's a sharp little dude. He's a sharp little dude. Um. Yeah, I think for me, I would just I would just do the Creole movie, to be honest. Like, I yeah. think the thing the, the thing about the Amistad case, too, that's like a bit overblown is that it really didn't change shit. Right. Because they weren't talking about slavery as we knew it in America. On they mass. were talking about international slave trade. That's what the case was really about and what got them free because if they were born slaves in america we're not even having the court case like they're all probably dead because they're property of whatever slave owner that they ran away from so when you look at the creole case like that's to me more interesting one because you get the story of this guy who escaped slavery and then made the decision that he's going to go back for his wife and family which is like think about that decision right like i'm for i got away you know i got I'm out free. i'm but but my family is not free. Like knowing what it is and knowing that people you love are still trapped in that and making the decision that if I go back and I get caught and I die, like I'm okay. Like I'd rather do that than live knowing that, you know, my, my loved ones are still trapped in that situation. Yeah. So he, he goes Absolutely. back. He makes that decision to go and free them and then gets caught again. And then they're all shipped off. And so now it's just like, like what what else do you have to lose at that point right like you already got away once you know what's going to happen when you go into this place in louisiana like louisiana slavery was not that was you're dead right like they're working you to yeah. death and they're just getting mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if you know what that's about to be like yeah we're gonna if, if you kill us on the ship i'd rather die here than than be right. put back into that in a worse position so they not only are able to take over the ship, but then they're smart enough to know we need to go to the Bahamas because that's British. Like, that's not American. So, like, think about that ingenuity of, like, oh, yeah, well, we, we got the ship, but what do we do now? It's like, no, we know what we're going to do. We're going to go somewhere where they can't get us back. Like, we're going to make this a whole fucking mess, so we're going to go to the Bahamas. And the thing about it was they went there, and the British were like, okay, so we can give you the ship back, but we can't give you... <laughs> <laughs> these people back these niggas but, because and this is the part that i'm most fascinated about the black people on the island were protecting them the black people on the island took them in and said oh no like we're, like they're with us now and so the british were like we don't want to piss all these black people off because they outnumber us on this island so in fear of a mutiny we're just going to give you the ship and that's it so like think about that too right these black people on this island these this the ship full of black people <laughs> pulls up on the island they've killed all the white people on the ship except for whoever is piloting the ship and the black people on the island are like bet you know like we see like come <laughs> with us like we yes we're gonna link up we, we see you. you we see you on. fam <laughs> you know, like, that's a movie like that's, each one teach one right absolutely that's great absolutely and so you get this whole and that's a completely one teach one <laughs> <laughs> that's a completely black movie that has i, I see i peep what you're doing man i peep what you're doing i like it i like it. I yeah, you yeah we're, try we're trying to get like you like you game recognized game you know <laughs> <laughs> you know 
Um, but think like that's such a black movie, right? Like there's no whiteness in right. there. There's, there's not even right. a white savior. Like all the white people right. in that movie die. Like that's how black right. that movie is. Like, right. no, like they take over the ship and they just go and they live. Like obviously the Bahamas weren't like a black paradise in the sense that, you know, like black people were just, it wasn't, you know, Island Wakanda, but it is better than slavery. Like they were, they had right. some more autonomy. They didn't have to go back to where they came from. So yeah. Is that a movie in 1997 that white people want to see? Probably not, but nope. <laughs> is that a movie that I would like to see? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Really, really someone and fuck it, you should do because it. it's true. It's like that is that's the exactly that's the movie that should be made. Like I'm I'm feeling hyped just imagining like the major <laughs> points, right? Like them coming in to the fucking, you know, like coming ashore, you know what I mean, all haggard, and everyone yeah. at the on the beach is like, hey, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like this would be amazing. Like, yo, the next time, the night, the next time white people in Hollywood are, are giving out money, you need to pitch the script. Yeah. I mean, we'll but see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely true that it's like, yeah, I I do think, and I again, maybe it's just because I'm pushing 40, but I do literally think white people are too scared to have that movie be made. Oh, for you know sure. what I mean? Oh, Not just because it's all sure. black cat, but because it doesn't involve them, right? Yeah. And it and in some ways. Something that I was thinking about when thinking about like this, the Amistad's insurrection versus the Creel's in insurrection, right? In some ways, the way, even though it's like kind of tight, but the Amistad like violence is sort of like adds to sort of an inherent animalisticness to the African people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the Creel violence, because you know, depending on what you would depict, there'd be several moments of that, right? Yeah, it's it's much more calculated. You know what I mean? These are American blacks. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think in that way, it's much more scary. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in the Amistad one is like, oh, we would we would all do this is just like a human. It's just, you know, like just a human, human natural human. You know what I mean? Any animal wants to be free. Right. Right. But with the Creole shit, it's like, no, these niggas are going to kill you. If you <laughs> <laughs> like at several <laughs> points. Like, don't, I like don't, the, don't take your eye off them because they'll kill I mean? you. Like, right. So fuck around. And yeah, yeah. The <laughs> honestly, out, it's honestly, I mean? that's the worst nightmare. That's their worst nightmare, though, Absolutely. bro. Like, that's honestly why the jail system is why it is. It's honestly mm -hmm. why Absolutely. things are like it is because if these white people don't take their eyes off them, off us, right. they honestly think we're going to fucking jump them. And the reality of the situation is if you just leave us, like we said, leave us the fuck alone, we'll be fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> just well, leave I us alone. I think about that yeah. that Toni Morrison quote all the time when they're asking about the L.A. riots and they're yes, like, what do you I think remember, about yeah. it? And she was like, I'm surprised it took this long. Like, I'm mm. I'm impressed at the restraint that these people showed to wait until the verdict came down to go crazy like this. Go like, crazy on y'all. You know, because that that's the thing. Y'all right? Because y'all deserve worse and it, it should have came already. Yeah, for sure. But there's so many more. I mean, even a movie about like the liberation of Haiti, right? Like y'all don't want to see black people do that. Danny, <laughs> Danny Glover been trying to get that movie made for Yo. over 20 years at this point. Over 20 yeah. years. Because it's because it's those are the few moments in which like their fear came true right like the whole time they were like yo right. we we can't let these black people out of our sight 
the second that we do, they're going to turn around and do the same thing that we've been doing to them. But that, I mean, that never why, happened. Why are you scared? Why are you scared? You know, right. Because you know, right. because you, because you know, you're wrong. Cause you know, what cause you know, you wrong. did some fuck shit and right. you're, you're, you're waiting for the, the comeback. And like, we just want you to leave us alone. Like, yeah. right. <laughs> basically. So, it's so, yeah. It's so interesting that they're, the fear is so based or disconnected from like the black perspective, even in that, right? I mean, yeah, of course right. it is. Because of course, I mean, so many people talk about like the white fear of retribution that isn't coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's just not. Like we ain't even thinking about you like we, that. No, you know we don't I mean? even, we don't even want to, it don't even, y'all don't matter that much. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's really what it is. Y'all don't matter right. that much to black people at the end of the day. We're free black people, right? Yeah. Or as far as this nation is concerned. We're free black people. Yeah. Give give us our space and leave us the fuck alone. Give Stop us fucking us with us. Free Cameron. Give us <laughs> run, run us, us free. free. There you go. Run <laughs> us us free. Run us that free, yo. I'm not think, joking with you, stupid. I think that's gonna be the first t-shirt for the show. Is, is run us yo, free. please. <laughs> run us us free. Run us that free, yo. <laughs> Um, well, let's let's get to our our Cuckacity meter because uh, Ben, we're gonna we're gonna need you to help us rank this movie. We've got three oh, levels God. of Cuckacity that we go through with these films. The first is the lowest level, and that is shorts in the winter. So that's basically like y'all are making a choice, right? <laughs> You're not hurting us. Yeah, You're not hurting black people. We see you though. Yeah, this doesn't involve us, but like that's a weird decision. We question you wonder what's happening but like at the end of the day not harmful just problematic right second level is this movie is touching my hair uh which is basically like now we've you, crossed over into you you are touching me you've invaded my space yeah now now it's not, it's not full violence but yeah fucking now, with me now this is impacting me in a negative way like we there's still a chance to like step back you know, to, to rectify your mistakes. But at this point in time, like we've crossed the boundary of my space and your space. And now we, we <laughs> need to, we need to, we need to end this situation, right? The last one, I'm going to change this one, Cameron, in light of recent events. So our last oh, yeah. <laughs> ranking, our last Cassidy ranking is uh, Chris Martin's cover of Pony with, with By no genuine. Shoe. Yeah. Chris with Martin's- no shoes <laughs> Chris Martin's- and an acoustic guitar. <laughs> Chris Martin. Why barefoot. my nigga got no shoes on? <laughs> Who asked you to have your toes out, bro? No one Yo, said that. That video okay. stinks. <laughs> well, you can smell add, that video. To Yo, add context, the full context is Chris Martin's barefoot acoustic cover of Pony at a Spotify event in the Hamptons. Yo, all of it. <laughs> Yo, throw it all in the garbage. And that's Yo, the so ultimate, upset. like, you have crossed the line like th yeah. there's no coming back from this this is the most this is sarcastic. A, it's a violent act yeah you have chosen violence against us like you committed an atrocity that you know this it's that's it like we're not yeah. we're not fucking with you in any way shape or form no nah, we so, ain't with it so where do you see amistad landing on that on that ranking system yo now I'm thinking about how much white people love guitars and they ain't done nothing with it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, but that is so true. So hey, you done true. nothing good with it. Love, um, love it, but like you're not helping. Yeah. Yo, you ain't you ain't helped nothing. Um, let me think. 
So I think that the like my 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 real answer is probably you touching my hair. You know what I mean? Like this is sort of middle of the road. I think the deep part of me is like this is like a a vanilla version of pony, and that I feel like it's <laughs> it's it's at what it actually does to make white people think that this is actually history. This is like this is and like this is one of the few depictions of like the middle passage and shit. It's actually incredibly pernicious. You know what I mean? But given, (laughs) given like all things that are possible, like all the movies that are out there, you know what I mean? And comparing this, I feel like it would be a bit too much to give it the highest capacity rating. So, I mean, it's like, it's a touch of my hair 0.5, maybe, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Cameron, what do you think? I, I think I'm, I hate when this happens. It's like, I'm usually like, we usually let the guests go and then I'll go. And I, I agree a lot usually with the guests, but th- in this case, I, it's so specific, but I do agree because I feel like in the grand scheme of like white savior movies, they think they're doing the work. They mm-hmm. think they're helping, but it really is. It's touching my hair and beyond because what you're doing is you're actually just softening slavery. You're just like, scrubbing it over with a little uh with a um with a nail file you're like shaving down Mm. the edges a little bit Mm. it's it's really gross and kind of like negligent kind of like irresponsible because if this is going to be your schindler's list for black people you made this like what three years after you make schindler's list four years after you make that movie it's you're not helping you're kind of hurting the legacy of the whole situation and you're not you're not doing the work you think you're doing you're actually hurting people so like yeah touching my hair point five it's because it's not quite it's not quite like oh this is active this is not white man's burden this is not not (laughs) hurting us this is not hurting us yeah but it isn't helping either yeah, I'm I'm in a weird spot, right? Because on the one hand, I agree in the sense that this is probably just touching my hair, right? Like as a movie, yeah. it's pretty benign in so much as like, all right, like this is pretty typical Hollywood. Like we're gonna take the story, we're gonna insert a bunch of white They've people. They've done into it before. It. Yeah, like there's nothing totally and just incredibly offensive about it. But it's when you start to do the research and you look more into it and like the actual history, not only of this case, but then the idea of this movie, because there's also shit that they talk about of like the the incoming civil war, which was like 20 years away when this was taking place. And like the idea that this was like a landmark case when really, again, it's only about international slave trade, not about like the slave trade or the slave practices taking part in America. It had no impact on any black person in America who was enslaved. And then, you know, you look again, they turn around and like, Oh, Dred Scott ruling and like a bunch of other shit where it's just like, it, it didn't improve anything ever. And so much of these movies are these situations where it's like this one individual black person's life may be better right but like black people as a whole it doesn't improve it right and even in the case of of this movie it's like actually all these black people went through all this to go back home and their country was destroyed and they died uh on a a technicality 
on a technicality. <laughs> so, you know, like there's there's all this other bullshit going on. So like part of me just in terms of it being sinister in that sense, right? Of like, watch this movie and you'll learn something. Or it's like, no, you don't learn, you learn all the wrong things. You learn nothing. You learn this whitewashed version of history that makes all these people heroes when they really weren't. And none of the actual truth about what these Africans went through in, in terms of this case. So like, I am, I agree that I guess I can't give it Chris Martin, but like, I'm close, right? Like I'm, I'm on the precipice. Yeah. Like I'm outside listening to him tune his guitar, like <laughs> strum the first notes of Pony. Uh, but you know, we're not, we're not quite there. Uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like I want to add a new like rung on this, pasty ladder you know yeah like it, it, like this movie thinks it's slick yeah this movie thinks it's slick because <laughs> yeah. it's like oh yeah we're solving the problem we're you know we're it really tries to make you think this is solving racism they literally mm -hmm. jump up for joy matthew mcconaughey jumps for joy legit when they like hand down the ruling yeah. right and then and right. then cut to the breaking of chains right yeah. This right. movie is not about the breaking of slavery change. This movie is about breaking these 44 chains and sending these 44 niggas back to Africa. Right, right. This shit is I, hella whack. This movie thinks it's slick. I feel like this movie isn't calling the cops on me for having a barbecue, but I do <laughs> feel like it's telling me to stop being aggressive when I have every reason to be angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this movie is like, it's like an HR meeting, right? Like they've called you in. Mm. They, they want to talk about you know, you people have been complaining about, you know, just your general demeanor at work. Like Debbie said, you were aggressive in the break room. Like, we just want to talk about, you know, maybe what's happening with you. Are you okay? Somebody said you were humming. Somebody said you were humming rap lyrics in the kitchen. They weren't yeah. sure if they were about them or if they were about like random niggas. Right. You know, Man, uh, this this makes me think about all the different times that white people have gotten upset in vicinity when I'm just with friends. Like, you know, there's like one energy they have when you're a single black person. But if you fuck around to be two to three or more black people, white people get very uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Just try it. The next time with your couple friends and you're some white people, just start laughing and see how uncomfortable they get. <laughs> well, are there any movies that you guys would suggest that people watch um, instead of, I, of Amistad? I actually have two, and they're not movies. Okay. Um, they're both television miniseries. Do it. But I actually think they do the work that this movie does not try to do. And that's the classic 1977 Roots, mm -hmm. which is as, as hokey and kind of goofy as Roots is in a lot of parts. It's actually a it's it's trying to do the work of actually showing like slavery from the inside out, you know, all ends of it. The first episode of the show literally takes place in Africa, has nothing to do with white people. It's kind of nice to know that they wanted to go that hard and like start the story about this person's legacy and their family in Africa and have nothing to do with the slave trade whatsoever. Hmm. So, so that's my first one. And my second one is, since Spielberg is like the guy who's literally the only person who's able or has had the opportunity to 
put the middle passage on screen. I think a person who actually could be tasked with it these days is uh, Barry Jenkins. Yep. And hmm. I'll say what he did with the Underground Railroad, which is what I'm suggesting people watch. And also the book by Colson Whitehead, which I suggest people read. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of which are acts are works of fiction. I know this. I'm aware of this. They are works of fiction, but they do the actual work of showing how harrowing slavery could have been because everybody knows that the accounts are all over the place. Even the ones that are actually like, you know, still recorded are all over the place and don't go as hard as we know they did. Yeah. And that show does a just it's it's a tough watch because of the lengths it goes to to make slavery like this horrible, terrifying world that black people had to exist in and from a survival standpoint, which is what this movie supposes is that these black people were surviving by rebelling and then surviving the language barrier throughout this entire court case in order to go back. And the Underground Railroad places its main character in a very, very tense, very harrowing world of slavery that is probably the worst depiction I've ever seen, or not the worst, but like the most horrifying depiction I've seen on screen. If, if a white person wanna be uncomfortable about what their ancestors did, Go ahead and watch Barry Jenkins, The Underground Railroad. Like, you don't even need to go that far. The first episode is full of shit. That mm-hmm. is just, un- I can't watch it again. I know I'm not going to be able to watch it again, but that's what it w- That's probably what a lot of it was really like. So there you go. That's, that's uh, Cameron's uh, recommendation corner. All right. Uh, what about you, Ben? Yo, so um, Cam Cam took my one, the one suggestion I could think of when thinking about like what to watch, and that was Roots. Um, but I was also, I was struggling off this because I don't, I honestly actively avoid movies that heavily depict slavery. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, like it, yeah. <clears throat> it always bothers me. I think I'm just like, why do I need to see that? You know what I mean? Like. Mm. I feel like this is mo- usually f- for white people to see how bad it was. Um, so I was really struggling to think of like an improved thing. So I'm roots was the thing I was going for another washed moment for Ben, but I, <laughs> and I think, I think just cause also whatever, maybe I'm a history nerd since, since Cam already took the thing I suggested, I was going to suggest people. Can I, can I suggest a book? Oh yeah. Yeah. Go for <laughs> it. Okay. So, well, I'm just, just going to generally suggest C.R. C.L.R. James, who's just a, a Trinidadian historian who wrote about a lot of our history. But I've been reading Black Jacobins, which is about the Haitian Revolution, mm-hmm. and uh, that feels like a really good go-to if you want to actually learn about a real insurrection. You know what I mean? And again, no white people. You know what I mean? Talks about the institute. You know the institution of slavery, the realities of it but also all the different ways people came up off of it and what a society might look like. You know what I mean? Once it's like, you know, when we, when we get free and try to figure shit out, turns out French force us into debt. We get our wings cut from the West in general, but, 
but uh i think that's a that's a really good go-to like unfortunately like you know movies and tv are dope but i think for a lot like a lot of our history like you still gotta you still gotta read a lot of this shit right mm-hmm. and no, you gotta you know, dig and you gotta right dig. you gotta dig you gotta dig yeah that's definitely true. Like anyone that's learned black history, man, you really, you got to go into the microfiche and shit. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, true. It's true. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, that shit. it's not the New York Times bestseller. It's you literally got to go to the library and do some digging if you want to sure. learn Absolutely. your history. Absolutely. Uh, well, I have, I have two recommendations and both of them are documentaries. One is kind of a pseudo documentary. It's, it's actually a field recording. But the first one is Unchained Memories, which was a documentary that was on HBO. And it is basically just Black people reading, like, slaves' diaries and, like, recollections of... I saw this, yes. Yeah. And that's a much more accurate accounting of what it was like to not just be a slave, but, like, their reflections on it. And some of it's a little iffy, just in the sense people have remarked that, like, yeah, they were giving these interviews to white people at the time. So obviously they weren't going to like go all the way in, but it is still interesting to, to hear in their own words, which I think is the most important part, uh, just about what their reflections on it and, and just some of their own personal stories, because it's mm. firsthand accounting of what they went through. The second one is you can find this on YouTube and it was on the Criterion Collection, but I don't know if it's still there, is Zora Neale Hurston has some field work, like some actual film footage that she took uh, in the 1920s, like 1928 and kind of into 1930. And one of them is of uh, Cujo Lewis, who was like one of the last survivors of this slave ship. He was brought to America from Africa as a slave. And, you know, it's basically him talking to her and uh, this other folklorist and historian about just what his life was like and, you know, like wanting to go home back to Africa, but not being able to and kind of trying to make a new life in America post-slavery. So it's very interesting. And again, it's a firsthand account of like somebody's actual experience, which is very interesting to listen to. So those would be my two recommendations. That's a great recommendation, man. Yeah, um, it's incredible. So we've talked a lot. Uh, I think we've, we've, we've <laughs> definitely gotten to the heart of Amistad and all the fucked up stuff about it. Maybe even not. There's probably more that we could talk about, but I feel like this is a good, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Um, absolutely tell the people where they can find you on the internet and tell people what you've got coming out that they can check out so on the internet uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at uh daglo (laughs) a-hole uh d-a-y-g-l-o-a-y-h-o-l-e all my friends are like you need to change it you came up with that forever ago when you were (laughs) squat punk you're trying to be edgy i'm gonna keep it fuck it um and then uh, I do a lot of work for the nib.com. You can find me on there at the nib.com. Um, and then um, the, the, the one book I got on record coming out in 2022 is Black Arms to Hold You Up, uh, which is a, a, a sort of, um, uh, what is it? Sort of temporal uh, nonfiction graphic novel about seven individuals that were engaged in armed rebellion against white supremacy over the course of a hundred years. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. 
I got, you know, I always got some side projects and stuff going on, but, um, but, uh, that's, that's the next big thing. For sure. That's I can't wait for that book. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, Cameron, tell, tell the people what you got going on, where they can find you. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on, uh, IG and Twitter at the blipster 1138. That's black hipster, you know, T H E B L I P. S-T-E-R. Like you, I selected that shit when I was mad young, maybe like 12 years ago. (laughs) Fuck it. We just stick it with it, you know? Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. uh, find find me on Twitter and IG for like, you know, nonsense. Black nonsense. I mean, that's actually the best way to describe my my internet presence is black nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you should see if that handle's available. Maybe if you're gonna Black change nonsense. Ooh. Shit. You, you, <laughs> ah, damn. Ooh. Am I a real one though? Am I a real one though? Hey, you might come. Back, you might come back for the next episode. Mm. It might be at Black Nonsense, yo, for real, for real. Um, so yeah, for now it's at the Blipster 1138 on Twitter and IG. Uh, you can find my sketch comedy group, Two Karen with Love, on the internet. Two Karen with Love. Just put it in Google and you'll find some funny videos uh yeah and i'm jordan clark you can find me on twitter and instagram at jr sosa 18 jr sosa 18 uh not as fun as the other two but you know it's it's working for me um (laughs) i got i got comic stuff coming soon i keep saying that and i will announce stuff at some point when stuff is able to be announced but it's it's happening it's in the works um if you want to get in touch with us here at the show you can reach us on twitter at white underscore pod we'll have all kinds of stuff coming up here with this with this episode of Amistad, all the research and history and even like the Zora Neale Hurston stuff, like all the stuff you can find on YouTube, we'll, we'll be posting that. If you want to get in touch with us, yell at us, uh, give us your revisions, all that stuff, you can find us or email us at whitepeoplewon'tsaveyoupod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love for to hear from you. Please do all the things you do with your podcast. Subscribe to us, rate us, review us, tell your friends, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Peace. Peace. Peace out. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.